Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who's struggling to decide which Beastars character he'd most like to dress up as this Halloween, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? Why are you making that face? You don't want to get inside a rabbit? No, it's definitely going to be Haru, but I wanted to not answer your question and just comment on the fact that this is the first time I've ever seen Ravi in Scrubs. He looks kind of hot. <laughs> oh, you're only seeing the top half right now, though. <laughs> yeah, but it's got like a really nice deep V. So I'm just trying to paint the picture I of our recording hate for that part of these, though, because <laughs> you can see a little bit of the chest hair, and like no one needs to see that, dude. Like I'm a little self conscious about that. I need to see that specifically. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, strong start to the episode. All right, let's get into the anime news. Recent episodes have actually been pretty short on the news, but we've got a little bit more to get well, through. Let's keep it that this way. time. <laughs> I would like to, but I can't. I have to deliver the news in its entirety. All right. So first, two pieces of industry-related news. So one is not anything that was confirmed, but something that generated a lot of conversation on Twitter specifically a few weeks ago. And basically, a bunch of animators that worked at MAPPA were claiming that they were asked to sign a confidentiality agreement as to not complain about the poor production schedules for a show they were working on. Allegedly, that show is the second season of JJK. That's not a surprise for anybody that's been following JJK. We'll talk more about that in our next episode when we catch up on all the fall seasonals. But man, MAPPA just fucking sucks. (laughs) And the fact that they would literally try to coerce employees to not talk about things that they are experiencing and like unfair treatment is so fucked up. But that's just what you would assume MAPPA would do, I think, at this point. Yeah, I feel like at this point, we're just beating a dead horse with how much we're talking about how much MAPPA sucks. It seems like since we've started this podcast, every few months we've had to talk about MAPPA either fucking over its own workers, messing up production schedules, acquiring projects when they know their animators can't work on them. It's just it's just sad at this point. It just makes me really sad. I don't want to be defeatist about it because I feel like this is still something that needs to be talked about and still something that needs to change. But making your animator sign an NDA about how bad a company you are, like, how is that even legal? I feel like it's not. (laughs) I mean, I don't know anything about the Japanese legal system, so maybe it is, but it seems like it should be illegal to me. Uh, Anyways, second piece of news I'm going to try to explain But basically, the new invoice system for Japanese consumption tax came into effect. And you might be like, what the fuck is that? And I really did not expect this. (laughs) And you just said that you don't know anything about the Japanese legal system. Why the fuck are you talking about taxes? I promise it's related. More info on this, if my explanation is inadequate, you can find at Full Frontal. They have a website and a Twitter handle. They're a great independent anime news site. And they... Why are you looking at me like that? I mean, we just... (laughs) Maybe you can listen to the outro for more context, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, it's a great independent anime news site, and they did a lot of reporting on this. But basically, there hasn't been a lot of coverage outside of them in the West. That's why I'm referencing their specific coverage of it. But this new tax consumption law might have a lot of ramifications across the anime industry. Basically, what's going to happen is taxes are going to be applied much more broadly for freelance artists. As we know, many freelance artists, especially in the anime industry, are already struggling to make ends meet and have no knowledge of how to navigate a potentially complicated new invoice system that previously would have been tax deductible. A lot of their work would be, and now it is not. 
It also means that on top of this more complicated system where things are a lot more taxable, a lot more personal info about artists is going to be public record that is just available. And the initial estimate, I don't have the source for it, so you can go check out the article for that, is that about 20% of voice actors or animators in Japan related to the anime industry might actually just go out of business because of this huge increase for really small creators. Some companies have tried to combat this, ironically, like MAPPA, actually, which have raised wages across the board in response. I'm saying something positive about MAPPA. It's really fucking crazy. Many other studios don't have the capacity to do this. So it's yet to be seen kind of how far reaching the consequences from this are in the industry. But I think there was some discussion about it potentially being really hard for artists that are already struggling to make ends meet once this goes into effect. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm kind of sad to hear that I haven't heard a lot about this. I've been kind of MIA from the news for the past couple of weeks. I'm just getting slammed, as you already know. But that is pretty sad to hear, especially given how much anime relies on young, up-and-coming talent, people that are doing innovative work, how much current anime is produced from things like, you know, fan fiction that then gets picked up. So... If this limits it so that only big corporations and big animators can afford to animate things, that's going to be a different landscape for anime in the future. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't end up like that. And studios and maybe some of the response to the actual legal proceedings can help alleviate this or combat it in some way. But there has been a little bit of activism and pushback from freelance artists trying to get this changed slightly. But yeah, you're right. There actually hasn't been that much coverage about it in the West. So figured we'd uh, talk about it at least a little bit here. All right, moving on to actual anime news. So we got the first trailer, actually, maybe the second trailer. We got a new trailer for Delicious in Dungeon, which was also announced to be a consecutive two-core series. That's starting in January, I believe, from Studio Trigger. I'm really excited for that. And having both Freerin and Delicious in Dungeon, which are two sort of modern fantasy titles that manga readers seem to really like, and having them both be two core is really nice. I actually only recently remembered how much I miss having two core series because it seems like in the anime industry now, it's just like kind of impossible to have a production schedule that allows for that without a break, at least for a season. So I'm really excited for that. I'm also very excited for that. I mean, you know, I'm super excited to start watching Free Ren. And then mixing fantasy with cooking is like my shit. When that comes out, I will probably be the second person to watch it after you. <laughs> yeah, super excited for both. I'm really excited to talk about Free Run next episode. I know you haven't gotten around to checking it out yet, but we're going to have a lot to say about that. All right. Yu Yu Hakusho got announced that a live action adaptation is dropping from Netflix on December 14th. I hadn't heard about this until recently. There's no trailer yet. Yeah. For something that's coming out in two months, that's not the best. <laughs> like, I would like to see something <laughs> about what it looks I'm gonna like. I'm going to say, I am the first person to be like, man, I'm super excited for live actions. This one sounds sus. I have heard <laughs> about this one. And I mean, Yu Hakusho is already like a very storied franchise. It's so long. So many people grew up watching Yu Hakusho. I do not know what they're going to do live action with this, but given Netflix's history and how it hit one piece out of the park let's see what happens i guess yeah i mean you want to give them the benefit of the doubt given the success of one piece but with one piece for 
I feel like six months to almost a year, we saw the sets being constructed. We saw so many people talking about it being a passion project, like all this stuff. We haven't seen anything <laughs> from this and it's coming out soon. So I don't know. Hopefully they have it together. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We also got a, I don't know if confirmed announcement, but at least a rumored announcement that the manga Blue Box, which is a sport rom-com, is supposedly getting an anime adaptation in 2024. I'm mainly mentioning this because it's come up in our Discord server. I know people really like Blue Box as a manga. So just another one of those adaptations I think we'll be looking forward to next year. It looks super cute. Even if it's not confirmed, even when I was at New York Comic Con this year, they were really hyping up Blue Box, which leads me to believe that, yeah, it's actually going to get that anime adaptation. It looks super cute. It sounds like it's like a cute love story around high school sports, which I can totally jive with. So I'm really excited to see that when it comes out in fucking like 10 months from now. <laughs> well, the next two things that I wanted to ask you about to wrap up the news section are real life events and you just mentioned the first one which is that you were at New York Comic Con for a day this past weekend so why don't you take it away with that how was it yeah we talked about it a little offline I will say this is the first time I have gone into a con kind of blase about it not that I wasn't excited to go in it's just that this year and this time I went to Comic-Con was the first time I didn't show up immediately when doors opened at like 10. Like usually I would line up at like 9.30, wait to get in, really saunter, mosey my way around Artist Alley, have like four or five different panels and then have to decide, oh, which one do I really want to go to and then cut out the rest. This time when I went in, I knew I definitely wanted to go to one panel in particular, which we'll talk about in a second. But the remainder of them, I just wasn't that excited about. Usually it's the anime content that gets me really excited about going to things. This year, the anime content in terms of panels was definitely scaled back. Whereas on the show floor, it was definitely still present. Again, with Viz Media and Shueisha and Crunchyroll and Dragon Ball and all of these other giant franchises and or publishers presenting their stuff. And so that was cool to walk around. But in terms of panels, it looks like the amount of guests that they brought in from Japan and otherwise wasn't that forward, which is fine. It's New York Comic Con. It's not Anime NYC. But I would have preferred that as a anime fan myself. Huge weeb. <laughs> yes, you could put it that way. Uh, there were a few, though. There were a few that I uh, unfortunately didn't have time to attend, such as there was a One Piece dub villains voice actor panel, um, which looked really cool. It was kind of late in the day. It was like 6.30 to 7.30, and my partner just wanted to leave by that point. There was one I, that I went to, which I'll talk about, which is a Final Fantasy VII remake panel. That one was super cool. It had all of the dub VAs for it. It had Matt Mercer as the host, who was also confirmed during that panel to be the voice of one of the main characters in the game, which was amazing. And so I love him. I love Critical Role. I'm also a big D&D fan, as you probably know. And so seeing him on stage in person was an amazing experience. And then in terms of my favorite part of it, Artist Alley, I haven't yet shown you what I picked up. No, I've asked you like three times. <laughs> Want to do it live? Yeah, I would love to. All right. Well, I'm going to send you pictures of what I picked up and you can react to them now. All right. So the first thing is a thing that you would expect me probably to pick up the most. Walking my way through Artist Alley. Wow, that looks great. Yeah. I 
was immediately caught off guard by how much Ava there was. And Ava is something that you'll see, you know, at NMA NYC, just front and center, like almost every single person or every few people has some Ava work. This time, there were a whole bunch of new artists that I had never seen before at Comic-Con. And this piece caught my eye. It is incredible. There were two of them. The first one, which is the one I'm showing you right now, is a picture. I don't think it was a watercolor, actually. It looks watercolor. Of Unit 01. And it's fucking savage, right? Like, you can see the mouth is open. There's blood streaking across the entire mech. He's holding one of the angels in his hand who's, like, dead. And so it kind of just shows the brutality of Ava. And it was really nicely paralleled by a different work this artist had, which was Ava 2, which is Asuka's Ava. And that one was just kind of standing there almost pristine, um, still in its like evolved form with the mouth open, but it didn't have this level of brutality. And I really like the contrast between the two. I almost always pick Ava 2 and or Asuka. This time, this one really just caught me and I had to get this one. You didn't just want to get both of them. (laughs) You know what? The entire time I was walking there, my partner was like, I swear to fucking God, if you buy something... We don't have anywhere to put it, so you're not buying anything. And as soon as I stopped, okay, you know what we did is we made our way entirely through Artist Alley, and then she was like, all right, you know what, like 30 minutes before the panel that we're going to, how about we just go up and like check out some of the cosplays? Let's just stand on like the uh, the floor area at the top where you can look down and see everyone cosplaying. And I was like, yeah, how about we just make one quick pass to like look at a couple things? And that's where I bought all three things that I'm going to show you today. And then she was just fucking glaring daggers at me. I mean, you cannot be stopped when it comes to Artist Alley. No. No one has that power. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not a good thing because I did spend like fucking $300. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but one piece in particular was the majority of that, which I'll show you at the end. All right. So the second thing, all of the artists I'm going to show you here were kind of mobbed. Usually when I'm looking for art, I'll look around and I'll see, okay, which artist has like a good crowd and like check out their stuff. This artist had a huge crowd and the colors in this one were incredibly striking. The one that I'm showing Yanni here is essentially an arcade store with a kid standing in front of it. But on top is this dragon that's like looming over the arcade store. And the colors here, like these vibrant purples and pinks and yellows and blues, it just struck me. And even my partner was like, damn, okay, like the colors in this one look fucking amazing. And it's kind of hard to tell with the plastic wrap on it in the picture I took, but it is actually very vibrant. I don't know how they printed this. They actually did print it on like photo paper so you could get that gloss to it, which looks amazing. It looks really good. I'm actually kind of surprised you bought it because it's pretty Pokemon heavy. It is pretty Pokemon Pokemon guy, but it's a really nice piece. Yeah, it's just like generally cartoon heavy. Like there's a SpongeBob. There's some like Winnie the Pooh in there. There's some Disney characters as the Rugrats. It just kind of brought me back to like childhood. And also that dragon on top of it really just stood out to me. Uh, This is part of a whole series they had about dragons. And so there was like a few dragons in a bakery, a few dragons wandering off across the skyscape of a city. So this is the one that stuck out to me, though. The third one, this is one, and I think you'll probably have seen this before, because I have been meaning to pick up this piece for months now. 
Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, and I waited till I saw this work actually in person. So Bryce Coe is one of my favorite artists. He is at almost every major con, and every time you see him, his booth is mobbed. And it's because he does some incredible work. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see what this piece looks like. It's a Samurai Champloo work. And given how much that series is associated with music for me, and also it appears for Bryce, you can see that in this work where Mugen and the other two companions are in a recording studio. And it's almost like a DJ booth set. There's some smoke flying around. I loved this piece. I love the composition of it. It just really speaks to what Samurai Champloo is for me. Yes, yeah, honestly incredible. I want to give a plug. Did you buy another piece? Oh, the last one, yeah. Oh, okay, the last okay. one, which is Go the ahead. majority of the money, but it's not necessarily anime related. Okay, I thought that one was the majority of the money. <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> the final one is one that actually my partner did agree to buy. And I saved this one for last <laughs> because it's not necessarily anime related, but it was by far the most expensive one I bought. And I'm sending it over now. So this artist had two different projects that she was highlighting. The first one was a series of mental health disorders canvases. And all of these works were printed on canvas, archival grade ink. They looked beautiful. As I said, the first group were mental health disorders. So she had a representation of PTSD, of OCD, of depression, of bipolar disorder, and they were incredible. I really wanted the one for PTSD because the composition was incredible. It had like, you know, the color palettes across part of it interspersed with these like pretty harrowing scenes. And my partner was like, I'm not putting that up in my apartment. And so I was like, okay, fine. And instead, the second project series that she was highlighting was music. And so she had a whole bunch of either guitar players, synth players, piano players, and this one kind of spoke to me because it shows a guy standing in front of a guitar pedal board and he's basically twisting a few pedals and you can see like a circuit being drawn. There's some neuroscience involved in there, like neuroscience of sound. There's some plants in there and you have this like black background where the colors pop. And so I just really love this work. This one cost $160. That is Steve, but honestly, the artwork is amazing. And I yeah. assume that the... I love the style of it, and I assume the quality of it speaks to that price. Exactly. It's a really, really amazing piece. The plug I wanted to give is for people to join our Discord server, because <laughs> then you will actually post these in the Discord, I presume, and people yeah. can actually see them and not just hear you describing and hear me go, wow, like I'm fucking <laughs> Owen Wilson. <laughs> you know, honestly, a pretty sparse pickup considering how much amazing art was in Artist Alley. What am I going to do with this? Well, we actually did end up buying an art book. And so I'm going to just put these into like folios that we can then put on the table or something that we buy because there's just not enough space in my current apartment. I think that's the best happy medium I could find so far. And you're going to keep wanting to buy artwork year after year. So makes sense that you have somewhere to put it that is not necessarily up on display, but that people can still leaf through and you can kind of keep collecting. So I like that compromise. I'm probably going to steal that at some point. <laughs> not that I buy as much art as you, but <laughs> you know. Did you have anything else to say about NYCC? Nope. Okay. The other piece of real life event that I wanted to ask you about is that we actually went together with a bunch of people to go see Blue Giants over at Japan Society. It aired in theaters 
across the United States over two days, but actually the day before or two days before something like that, we got to see the US premiere of it quote-unquote, at Japan Society in New York. The movie's directed by Yuzuru Tachikawa, who you might know from directing Death Parade or Mob Psycho. And the soundtrack was done by Hiromi, who is a well-known artist. I'm going to let you take it away because you absolutely fucking loved this movie. You make it sound like you didn't, but... (laughs) No, I liked it. I walked out of this movie and I was fucking blown away. As soon as the credits hit, I was looking around at like my partner, I was looking around at some of the friends from Discord that we actually saw in person, just getting confirmation that this movie had, and this is hard for me to say, but I think it's true, the best soundtrack of any anime movie I have heard. It was fucking incredible. And when we went into it, I had talked to Hope a little bit, Ziani's partner a little bit, about how this could potentially be different from something like Kids on the Slope. Kids on the Slope is about jazz, but it's more about the process of growing up and coming of age and what it's like to play jazz, but more than that, what it's like to make friends through music. Whereas Blue Giant is just about the music. Blue Giant puts jazz front and center, and yes, it obviously has some elements of making friends and competition, but the music is the story here. And for what it was, it delivered everything it needed to in an incredible way. Hiromi's soundtrack here was just fucking unbelievable. I have been listening to that soundtrack almost every single day while working here. I will say... In Japan Society, when we saw it, and there was actually a live Q&A with Hiromi, who had been able to make it from Japan for this, she was also performing at Sony Music Hall, and actually they called out the fact that she was performing at Sony Music Hall, and I then went to go see her there, and that was still fucking incredible. (laughs) I didn't know that. I actually got tickets. I was going to tell you here. So I went and got (laughs) tickets, because everyone else is going to formal this year for med school, and instead of going to formal, we just decided to go to Sony Music Hall to see Hiromi. Yeah, I said fuck formal. I mean, all my friends are graduated, man. I'm fucking too old for that shit now. It was unbelievable. Like, seeing the artist who composed for this, who had talked about in the Q&A what music means to her and her creative spirit and, like, what jazz is, right? Because jazz is live creativity, the creativity in person through music. Whenever you go see an orchestral concert, right? Yeah, of course, there's an element of creativeness to it. So much of it, though, is rehearsed, right? A lot of what's going to happen is planned. And jazz isn't like that. Jazz is in the moment. Jazz is constantly changing. And seeing Hiromi talk about that and then display it on stage was just an incredible experience. Wow, I didn't know you actually went to see her. That's really cool. Why would you not tell me that? (laughs) I wanted to fucking tell you about it here. So I also really enjoyed Blue Giant. I don't think as much as you, but I had a really good time with it. I would highly, highly recommend. I want to say you go see it in theaters, but you probably can't because it's not showing. But if it ever shows again in theaters, you should go see it. You should go see it at home regardless if you can't. The soundtrack is fucking unbelievable. Truly what you said about it putting jazz front and center, it does that, right? Like this movie is very much, and I assume the manga as well, which continues beyond what was covered in the movie, is really all about jazz and about someone obsessed with becoming the best jazz player they can be. And so bringing that aspect of the story to life, the actual music of it was 
unbelievable, like definitely a highlight. I think narratively, it's a good movie. I think it doesn't do anything insane in the way that you were talking about something like Kids on the Slope is much more ambitious in what it's trying to do with the character dynamics and stuff like that. And so that's the distinction I would make there. I want to shout out some of the direction because I think Yuzuru Tachikawa had some absolutely amazing cuts throughout the performances and the performances are fucking long. There are like seven or eight minute sequences of just the performances of just jazz music, which is really, really cool. And some of the direction there was really, really inventive with some really amazing cuts. There's some fucking CGI that actually made me want to die. <laughs> I know that you said this. And my partner also said this, and I was just like, I don't really care about that. I'm glad that it didn't bother you. I think the reason it bothered me so much more is, first of all, I think you know this, I have such a hatred of CGI performances. And because there were so many long performances, it was just like a central part of the movie itself. But also, I think it was accentuated by all those amazing 2D cuts that I talked about than just cutting straight towards like <laughs> some really, really janky CGI of him like humping his sacks in the air. <laughs> but I think it's very easy to kind of not pay too much attention yeah. to that. It definitely stood out to me. And I understand that you probably can't have the movie be fully 2D as much as I would want that to be the case because it's so hard to just animate those performances. But it's a really fun movie. And I think highly, highly recommend to see it, especially for the soundtrack. Yeah. Yes. For people that are not a fan of CGI, you will go into this and be like, what the fuck is happening here? Because every time they do perform, they just auto transition into CGI. Yeah. And they probably needed to do that. Otherwise, the amount of animating work required for this. Yeah. And we know how difficult it is to animate musical sequences. Like we've talked about Kids on the Slope. We've talked about UFO and, and things like that. And when they do it well, it's incredible, yeah. but it takes a lot of work. And so... I gave that one a pass. The reason I think you were talking about the fact that the story is very superficial and it's more about the music. And that also I gave a pass because of the fact that it was self-contained. It told the story it needed to and it did what it meant to do and it did it really well. I hope that this movie is successful enough that they make a sequel. I just don't know what they would do with a sequel because there's no material for that. No, the manga continues. What do you mean? Does it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, they kind of like spoiled this a little bit in the prelude presentation to us seeing it at Japan Society when they were like, the current arc of the manga is in New York. And there's like oh, nothing yeah. in New York right. in the actual movie right. that we saw. And it ends with, okay, spoiler alert, a very small spoiler, but it ends with this teaser of like one of the characters going to play jazz abroad. And I was like, oh, nice. This is the transition to the New York part. But then it's just like to Germany. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. so there's clearly He's like quite a bit of content at some point in between. So I would like to see more of it, honestly. I would love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one that would also benefit from the movie format. I always talk about how I would rather see it as an anime. I feel like as an anime, it would just be broken up too weirdly and it wouldn't have enough time to go through the performances in the way the movie did because then you'd have to do all of the setup to get to the performance then you have like a fucking two minute performance and then cut episode and so the movie format actually worked really well for this i really allowed them to just hit you with fucking 10 minutes of jazz straight i fucking creamed <laughs> Which myself was great. man it was actually amazing at the concert hiromi wasn't playing stuff just from blue giant obviously she has a new album out now called Hiromi's Sonic Wonderland. And so she was playing a lot of stuff there. I really wished it was a piano, sax, 
drum trio. It wasn't. It was a piano, trumpet, bass, and drum set quartet. And I really missed that sax element because they didn't have it there. But then their encore song, their last song, they actually played one of the songs from Blue Giant. And they only played like the first... 30-second lick of it that you could hear in Blue Giant, and proceeded to go improv for the next fucking 10 minutes. It was fucking amazing. Sounds amazing. Yeah. All right. That's the news. Told you it wasn't going to be short. (laughs) How long was that? Was that like 30 minutes? Perfect. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) So, on today's episode, we're getting in the mood for the spooky season with a Bakker Banter Halloween special. We'll be talking about our personal experiences celebrating Halloween, discussing how the holiday has exploded in popularity in Japan, and giving our picks for the top three Halloween anime. So let's get into it. That lick. Oh, <laughs> uh, I feel bad I didn't invite you now. Yeah, you should have. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> no, it's all right. You had a date. <laughs> so, Yanni, you walk up onto someone's porch on Halloween night. You don't know Where whose house is it going? is, <laughs> but you see that there don't appear to be any lights on inside. The only movement is a slight scuttling in the shadows at your feet and around your head, where you see tattered cobwebs floating in the still air. You begin to feel a slight unease that maybe you're being watched. As you nervously peer around, though, you notice something that you hadn't before. An orange bowl placed off to the side of the door. As you walk up to it, deeper into the shadows, you see it filled to the brim with your favorite candy. How many pieces do you take? All of them. Are you that fucking kid that like dumps the entire bowl into their pillowcase? Fuck you, dude. I'm 100% the kid who's taking one. (laughs) Too much of a rule follower? Yeah. I don't know what to do in this situation. I always take like fucking three. Just like a little bit more than you're supposed to, but not enough to be a dick. Hey, I was a chubby kid. I'll fucking eat that shit. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You know... Sometimes we sit here before we record the podcast and Ravi's like, no, hold on, hold on. I got to finish a little bit of prep. And then I just sit here for like 10 minutes and I like, you know, scroll social media or just like waste time. And I always wonder what you spend that time doing. And I know 100% for this episode, you just wrote that. Yeah, actually it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't that this time. Don't bullshit me. All right. So if you haven't been with us for a... Special episode. These are like a thing now that we do because we've done a Christmas one and we did a summer one. So it's just the type of episode we do. And I do Valentine's Day next. Calling it as such. Maybe finally get to ask you out on a date. What's the other (laughs) holiday? It's like the White Monday or some shit like that. White Monday. (laughs) I think it's just White Day. Oh, there you go. White Day. Uh, Somebody can fact check us on that if that's wrong. Anyway, so for these seasonal special episodes we always start by talking a little bit about our memories for whatever the season or the holiday is and then we take the opportunity to talk about that holiday and how it's celebrated specifically in japan so we'll do that for halloween and then we will alternate each giving our three picks for episodes of an anime entire series or movies that are fit to watch for whatever reason very vaguely defined for the holiday all right so let's start with that first bit Did you like Halloween growing up? I fucking loved Halloween, man. (laughs) 
I fucking <laughs> loved Halloween. Halloween was like one of my favorite fucking holidays of the year. And the reason for this is because the town I'm from, the town I lived in in New Jersey, it's called Hackettstown. And nobody knows where the fuck Hackettstown is because it's a little farm town in northwest Jersey, like 20 minutes away from the border to Pennsylvania. But every time you buy a packet of M&M's and you turn it over and you look at where it's made, it's made in Hackettstown, New Jersey. So my town has the plant where all of the M&M's and Snickers bars and Twix bars for the U.S. are made. And so every time we have Halloween, everyone in town who works at the plant, which is like half the fucking town, would have these like king size fucking candy bars. You would go up to them and you'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, dude, hit me with the fucking king size Twix out here. You know, actually, my favorite was Reese's, which isn't even a Mars thing, but I do love Reese's. Yeah. You get so much candy that my parents, and I know like some people's parents used to do this where they'd like take most of it away and then give you it for like doing a good chore or a good deed or shit like that. Fuck that. I would hide some of it so I could eat it and then they would take away the rest and then I would be fucking gluttoning out on like 20 Reese's during the day or like four bars of Twix. Man, I was loving it. Didn't your dad also like run the M&M plant or something? <laughs> no, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so my dad used to work for Toys R Us, and he worked at Toys R Us most of the time I was a kid. And then when I uh, left for college, he actually transitioned to Mars. He was never in it when I was a kid. Got it. And he works now as like a, a logistics manager for that. He definitely does not run <laughs> Mars. <laughs> I wasn't um, <laughs> Yeah, but my town, like, I really enjoyed how you would get so much candy. They actually do set up Halloween really nicely. They always have a block between, like, 3 p.m. when school lets out to 9 p.m. where people can go trick-or-treating. And then they actually enforce a curfew to be like, don't fucking leave your homes because we will find you. It's actually hilarious. And then one memory of Halloween really sticks out to me because my friend... There's like three different like neighborhoods within my town, right? There's the one that I lived in, which was across from the hospital. There's the one that's behind the hospital. And there's the one that's literally on the other side of town. And so I would go to my friend's neighborhood to go trick-or-treating. And one year, I don't know why he decided to do this. He was like, you know what would be really cool is if you dressed up like young Frankenstein and then I dressed up like the monster. And then we'd have this like little skit thing where like when someone rings the doorbell, <laughs> you would go answer it. And then I would like come up the stairs behind you and like give them the candy like that. Man, that'd be so cool. Yeah, we did it for exactly one person who walked up to the door, looked at us with the most quizzical what the fuck look is happening out here. I think he got so embarrassed that he's like, all right, let's just give him candy. Like, I don't care about this anymore. <laughs> So we spent so the much time <laughs> preparing for this, and he immediately fucking called it quits. <laughs> it's not going to surprise you that I am not the biggest Halloween person in the world. <laughs> oh my fucking God. <laughs> so I grew up, I think, with like a very traditional American experience with Halloween, which was going to haunted houses or corn mazes, trick-or-treating every year, being peer pressured into watching horror movies with friends. I watched every fucking, what were those movies? Like Paranormal Activity or whatever. Oh, I watched yeah. like every single one of those. And... This will come up, certainly. I don't like horror movies or horror anything because it's not that I struggle so much while I'm watching it. Like, I don't derive that much enjoyment from watching scary things, but I am going to fucking suffer 
at night when I try to go to sleep. I'm going to just have a bad time. <laughs> one story my sister always likes to tell, which I don't know if I've told you, maybe I've told you, is that after one of these events, some like party with a bunch of friends where I got baited into watching paranormal activity, I came back and I was like, you know, I'm like too scared to sleep alone in my own room. And I forced my younger sister <laughs> to sleep on a mattress in my room. <laughs> and she was like, why the fuck did I do that? I have the bigger room. You're the one who's scared. You can sleep on the mattress in my room. <laughs> but that's just like how sibling dynamics work, I guess. So anyways, I do not do well with things that are really scary. Same thing for haunted houses and corn mazes. The way I would get through those is actually by just yelling profanities at the people. <laughs> <laughs> that to scare you. Oh, that's because fucking hilarious. If you yell at them, like, haha, you can't touch me. <laughs> you know? It makes you feel better, yeah. That's how I would cope. Yeah. So anyways, I don't do the best with that. On top of that, as you know, you always try to get me to cosplay and like dressing up and like all that. Totally understand why people love doing that. I love looking at really creative costumes. I've just never really been creative in that way. So I've always been just a much bigger fan of the entire fall season. I'm basically, it's definitely my favorite season of the year. I love everything about fall and Halloween is just kind of that thing that on the side that I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that actually does answer the question who hurt you as a child. So like, <laughs> I really can't complain about that. I get it. I have a ton of friends who hate horror. I understand how it drives up the blood pressure fucking makes you scared. When I was a kid, my dad, for some reason, thought it'd be a fine fucking idea to let me watch Predator when I was like five years old. And then I couldn't go into my basement alone for like years you know that thing where you're like you shut off the lights and like you're like it's fucking dark i gotta run up the stairs now i would fucking I was gonna do that just say i always used to fucking sprint up the stairs in the yep, garage <laughs> exactly and i still like sometimes and they think in the back of my mind like this doesn't make a goddamn ounce of sense but like i'm doing it anyway i'm gonna book it a little faster than i would usually walk <laughs> whenever my parents used to ask me like when it was dark out to take the trash out to just the trash bins right outside the garage door i was like fuck <laughs> I might not come back. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about Halloween in general? No, nah, man. I mean, you did dress up last year or was it a couple years ago? I don't know. When did you do the Your Name cosplay? That was two years ago, maybe. Two yeah. So ago. my the old apartment I used to live in with some roommates in New York, we used to host an annual Halloween party. I don't know how that became a thing. I think it's actually because we had a housewarming and it just became around Halloween. So we just said, fuck it. But then we started hosting it with our neighbors, so it became a much bigger deal. And for that, I actually did dress up, as you mentioned, did the Your Name cosplay. But yeah, it's pretty rare to get me to dress up. Somebody really has to like push me or provide me with the costume and do all the logistics stuff. It's just too much work. I don't know. I said <laughs> I'd do Nanami this year, and I'm realizing oh, it's already should. October 16th. The thing is, the only reason I do that is because I've been meaning to get a gray suit anyway. And I was like, maybe I'll just do it for him. It's going to be an expensive costume, but I'll keep the suit, so... <laughs> So it's worth it. So it's worth it. <laughs> All right. So let's move on and talk a little bit about Halloween in Japan. Do you know anything about Halloween in Japan? This is all new to you? I've been hearing that it's like a relatively new holiday. In terms of like newness of holidays, we talked about how Christmas is a fucking gotcha in Japan with like how KFC and Christmas became a thing. Yeah. The celebration of Halloween is even more recent, but I'm sure you'll tell me about it. Yeah, so that's basically exactly right. There's no like real Halloween tradition in Japan, but Halloween burst onto the scene actually in the year 2000. And I don't think you're going to guess the reason why. It was actually because Tokyo Disneyland hosted a Halloween themed event. 
I did not know that. I don't know why that's the thing that made it catch on, but clearly it did. And since then, it's continued to grow in popularity. It's actually now one of the biggest celebrations of the year in Japan. Because the phenomenon is new, it's pretty much devoid of a lot of the things that we, at least in the United States, associate with Halloween, things like trick-or-treating, other traditions, just don't really exist. Instead, people focus their creative energy primarily on costumes. Costumes are easily the biggest part of Halloween in Japan. And Halloween offers an opportunity for cosplay where people participate in zombie runs, in flash mobs, have parties either in clubs or on the street. There are these really big street parties that often take place in Tokyo, oftentimes outdoors that people go to talk about those in a second. So all this makes Halloween much more of an adult-centric holiday in Japan. It's driven by otaku culture, where people will actually just go to the big department stores and pick up outfits in Ikebukuro or in Akihabara at stores like Don Quixote or Daiso, these consumer places. One question I have, completely unrelated to Halloween. <laughs> Why is Don Quixote the name of a huge I have wondered that for store so in long. Japan? This is like a fucking Spanish story from like the year 1600 or some shit. Probably older than that. I got the year completely wrong. But like... <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I could not tell you. And when I first heard that, it was probably on like the Abroad in Japan channel when you're talking about fucking Don Quixote. And I'm sure you're about to look it up and tell me. I'm not. <laughs> Are you looking at when the book was written? <laughs> yeah, and it was 1605. <laughs> wow, nailed it. I have no fucking idea. I will say, relevant to your earlier point, it does harken back to when you go on Twitter around the time of Halloween, you see all of the random flash mobs in Japan. That is very, very front and center for me when I think about Japanese Halloween. I've seen like so many videos of people doing like the Michael Jackson thriller dance in the middle of the Shinjuku crossing and things like that, like for sure. Yeah, and there are certainly still activities for kids to do. I think they're just much more structured. And in the US, it really is like, of course, there are adult Halloween parties, just like there are in Japan, but a big focus is on kids trick-or-treating and you have to have candy or chocolate or whatever to like hand out to kids. And that's not really part of it as much in Japan. So in Tokyo, Shibuya Crossing is actually often closed off completely from traffic to accommodate what is now the biggest unofficial Halloween party in the world. It once drew over 70,000 people just fucking hanging out in Shibuya Crossing, which is crazy. In recent years, though, the festivities have actually been pretty chaotic and gotten out of hand. A truck was actually overturned here in 2018, like completely fucking flipped over because I don't know what the fuck people were doing. Fucking weak truck. So that led to a lot tighter restrictions on alcohol at this event. Do you know how many people that truck probably killed, bro? I have no idea. I actually did not write that down. So I, I hope zero. <laughs> but probably Seen too many Isekai to think that fucking's an innocent <laughs> truck. But in Japan, typically you can just, unlike the U.S., drink alcohol out on the street. It's a really common thing to do. That's not allowed anymore at this event. I actually also saw literally today on Twitter that they might not even be having the party this year at wow. all. I don't know if that's true or not. I literally just saw one Twitter photo. So wait for confirmation. But they've definitely been tightening restrictions on that a bit. Do you know how that worked during COVID? I have literally no idea. <laughs> I assume they skipped it for a year. Yeah, I was wondering if it kind of just closed down for that year. At least for one year, I would assume it didn't happen. And then maybe after it was mask mandatory, but can't confirm that. There's also an annual Halloween parade at Rapongi Hills. And until 2021, Kawasaki, which is in Kanagawa, had its own parade, which actually dated back to the 90s. Japanese trains, also a really big thing that transform on Halloween. 
This is a tradition that started with American expats, of fucking course, which again in the 90s started throwing parties in the train cars themselves. Actually, I've read that this historically was super annoying because you know how Japanese trains are usually really quiet and clean. And of course, it led to a ton of cleanup for people that work for the fucking train companies. Today, however, these are actually organized events and again, provide this like really stark contrast to what are normally these normal, quiet public transportation culture in Japan to this just like crazy scene of people dressed in costumes and just having a good time on a train. So that actually sounds amazing. That sounds pretty fun. I don't yeah. know if I'd like to be in the middle of it trying to get from point A to point B with my normal work clothes, but you know, it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm assuming they're not doing this at the fucking peak rush hour, like all <laughs> these fucking not. random people cosplaying or wearing Halloween costumes just jammed together being pushed into this fucking train car. <laughs> so, of course, as I mentioned the origins of Halloween in Japan and Tokyo Disneyland, theme parks in Japan also run their own events on Halloween. If you're not at one of these parties, theme parks are another huge place to be. Tokyo Disneyland still runs an annual event. They have a huge parade. Universal Studios Japan hosts these Halloween horror nights. And Sanrio Pearl Land has a Hollow Kitty theme that transforms at night. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know that either. That's potentially horrifying if they just take the Hollow Kitty concept and just... I don't think they're trying to scare the sh <laughs> living shit out of the Hello Kitty fans, man. <laughs> That's how I'm imagining it. So this makes Osaka another popular city to be in for Halloween in Japan, other than just Tokyo. And actually, also, I read that the, you've probably seen the Abroad in Japan video where they went to whatever that Dutch-themed oh, theme yeah. park is. They yeah. also host a Halloween event there. Wow. <laughs> I think that's it, like, somewhere in Kyushu, but That was these a things deep exist. cut, man. Like, how much of a fucking Abroad in Japan have you seen that you, like, recognize that and looked it up? <laughs> I don't know. Recently, I've been watching a little bit more of uh, some oh, of this stuff. Oh, it's because so. you're planning your trip, probably. Yeah, although I'm not really getting that much specific things to go to, but I'm just in the mood for more people fucking around in Japan. I see. Anyways. Have you heard of this podcast called Trash Taste? <laughs> How fucking do you? <laughs> so in terms of food, restaurants and bakeries tend to serve special Halloween-themed desserts, as you might expect here as well. Companies run limited edition products. You know how much collaborations are common in Japan, so that extends to Halloween as well. Carving pumpkins is actually one tradition that people in Japan have embraced from the West, so seeing jack-o'-lanterns is also a thing there. And finally, one thing that I think I should mention is that Halloween, at least for us, is typically synonymous with the ghost stories, with horror, with the supernatural. Interestingly, in Japan, it's actually explicitly not the case. Japan has this really large history, as you know, of eerie folklore, but that's tend to be much more prevalent in the summer months leading up to Aubon. We talked about that in the summer episode. And so things like visiting haunted houses are things that you don't do during Halloween, but that you actually do in the summer leading up to Mid-Autumn Festival. So Mid-Autumn Festival leading up to Aubon, whatever, same shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've watched enough uh, school festival episodes to know there's always a haunted house classroom. So that happens. And then if they actually go to some haunted house, it's often when it's hot out and it's in the summer. And if you've wondered why, this is exactly why. It is not a fall activity. It is a summer activity. Nice. All right, that's been it for the for Halloween in Japan. <laughs> We're done. We're <laughs> no, that's been it for the section on Halloween in Japan. So we're going to get into actually almost an hour into the podcast talking about anime. <laughs> so as I mentioned, we've each picked three anime that for us, for some reason, are symbolic of the season and are a great pick to watch this time of the year. So go ahead and give me your first pick. 
I made all of them relevant to Halloween in some way, but if we're talking about That's fucking fine. fall, I could have picked like March comes in like a lion <laughs> with the second season and the I didn't do any fall. The Hana episode. Okay, good. I just did Halloween slash horror centric in some way. Perfect. I've said this before on the podcast, but Soul Eater is my answer to if I could brotherhood anything, what would I choose? I knew you were gonna pick Soul Eater. <laughs> of course I'm gonna pick Soul Eater, man. It's I'm, literally just Halloween. In I feel a like we haven't really talked about Soul Eater that much on the pod. We haven't. This show is so nostalgic for me. It's one of the first shows I watched when I was getting into anime, and I almost immediately fell in love with it. I loved the aesthetic, the art style, the characters, the music, especially the openings and endings, which I watched every single episode because I just enjoyed them so much. And then I got to the ending, and it felt like everything we had built up to in the show was just abandoned in favor of rushing to a conclusion. And that was probably the first time that I experienced the go-read-the-manga ending, which now, of course, I have gotten used to, but at that time, I was devastated by. But I will still say this about Soul Eater. I think the journey of the show is still worth it despite its ending, and it's the first show that came to mind for me when I thought of Halloween. What is Soul Eater about? Set in Death City, the show follows students of the famous Death Weapon Meister Academy as they hunt demons with the goal of eradicating enough to transform their weapons into Death Scythes, weapons fit for Lord Death himself. Each student is paired with a partner weapon that's not just a tool, but rather a person with the ability to transform their bodies into weapons. And specifically, we follow three student weapon pairs, Maka and Soul, who are the titular duo, Blackstar and Tsubaki, and Death the Kid with his twin pistols, Patty and Liz. Even if you haven't seen Soul Eater, you have almost certainly seen these characters because they are so well known within anime, you've probably seen the aesthetic for this show at some point. We follow these duos as they take on missions to collect souls, to protect the world, and to create the ultimate weapon for Lord Death. Now, I already talked about why I love Soul Eater so much, but why is it so reminiscent of Halloween for me? How did it fit the theme? If you want an answer to that question, just go watch the first episode. One Piece fans aside, fans like you, I understand that the length of Soul Eater, which is 51 episodes, is a little long. Just try the first episode and you'll see exactly why it's on this list for me. It is not a horror show by any means, but the ambiance, the plot of fighting demons and witches, the setting of Death Academy all come together to be what I imagine when I think of going out on Halloween night. Even if you don't want to watch the first episode, okay, you don't want to watch 51 episodes, I get it. You don't want to watch the first episode, questionable. <laughs> Go watch the opening, the first opening, Resonance. I watched it when I was just prepping this and thinking about how it made me feel. And not only did I get the feeling of that hole all over again, but the first 10 seconds show you exactly what I imagine of going out on Halloween night. I wanted to ask, because we talked a little bit about Soul Eater, I think sporadically throughout the podcast, but we never actually talked about it. Probably when talking about Fire Force. I've actually seen Fire Force and I have obviously seen the designs and heard some things about Soul Eater, but I actually like know pretty much nothing about the series beyond the general aesthetic of it. How do you think it stacks up compared to the other Battle Shonen you've watched? 
It's hard because this show is just so nostalgic for me. And Battle Shonen is just so broad of a genre that there's so much variety in it. I think most Battle Shonen is just passable garbage where obviously not true for like a lot of really good battle shonen the ones that are super yeah. popular like jutsu kaisen or you know one punch man which is a technically a battle shonen but it's also so many other things those are incomparable but then you have a whole bunch of garbage that comes out every season including unfortunately things like fire force where if i were to compare that to something like soul eater which even though it spoiler does reside in the same universe the characters in soul eater the plot of soul eater initially at least and the aesthetic just meant so much more to me, especially when I was watching it. As you probably know, a lot of that is influenced by when I watched it and what it meant to me and that level of nostalgia. Actually, when did you watch it? I watched it in <laughs> 2012. Yeah, it doesn't help me at all. <laughs> came out in like 2006? When did it come out? I meant more in relation to your broader anime journey like did you watch it after one piece oh my anime journey i mean you know this is that i watched a whole bunch of random sporadic stuff as a kid that i never really knew what it was and then in college i picked up everything again once i figured out what anime was because i had a friend who he himself was watching one piece and i was like wait that looks really familiar and i googled one piece and i was like wait there's a whole bunch of other characters i've seen before like for example why am i thinking twilight princess <laughs> Sailor Moon. <laughs> My brain is making weird connections right now. I saw Sailor Moon. I was like, holy shit. That's where that transformation sequence that's like buried in the recesses of my mind is from. And so even before watching One Piece, I actually watched Soul Eater because my friend was like, oh, yeah, One Piece is like at 500 episodes at this point. I was like, uh, let me dip my feet into like 50 episodes to see if I can do 500. And so I watched Soul Eater as honestly like one of the first full series I'd ever seen. I think I watched SAO as the first full series I watched at when I got into anime. That's and then I watched Soul Eater right after. <laughs> All right. So general recommend is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, highly recommend. Obviously, a lot of this is based on nostalgia for me, but just try and make it through the first couple episodes, first episode, and see what you feel like. <laughs> the music is amazing. The openings and endings are great. The aesthetic is amazing. And just see how you feel with the show. All right. Anything else? No, sir. Actually, I think Mako was like one of my first anime crushes. Besides... Did you just say Mako? Yeah. Mako is the name of the girl in Soul Eater. Mako? Like from Kill a Kill? No, Maka. Maka? M fuck off. <laughs> I hate Mako. How dare you? Besides, obviously, Asuka and uh, what's her name from Sailor Moon? Oh, my God. Oh, God. I don't know anything about Sailor Moon. Oh, rip. Me. Okay, anyway. Those three were like the top of the pack. The OG waifus. Yeah, the OG waifus, truly. <laughs> All right, so for my picks, I am just going for vaguely anything that gets me in the mood for the season. Lots of Halloween horror lists, if you just Google them or search on Reddit or whatever, have either episodes that are actually set in the summer but contain a haunted house plot in some rom-com series. We just talked about why I would not pick one of those. Or are series or movies that, in my opinion, are more unsettling psychological thrillers. Like I saw Perfect Blue and Death Note and Promise Neverland on like a bunch of Halloween lists. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to avoid those. That doesn't quite fit... <laughs> what i'm looking for like i need a little more rationale here gets me absolutely tilted and i think i'll talk about that too but like i get perfect blue has an element of suspense and horror to it it has a little bit of psychological horror but that's not yeah. horror it's not like live action horror when i think of horror yeah so my first pick is 
one of the very, very few horror anime that I actually like, and that's Mononoke. Before I say anything about Mononoke, I wanted to ask you kind of just broadly how you feel about horror as a genre in anime. I already talked about how I just do not deal that well <laughs> with horror and live action generally, but I'm not sure why it doesn't really feel like horror in anime is as scary as horror in live action ever. And I can't quite place why that is because we always talk about how anime and animation gives you this unbounded ability to be creative as a medium. And so in theory, that should lend itself really well to eliciting those types of reactions. But at least for me, I find that it doesn't. And even when I watch something that is labeled as horror, I just don't really end up being scared when it comes to anime. I think the difference is how they're created in the psychological nature of horror. Because when you're watching a live action, part of why you're so afraid of it is because those are real humans on screen going through some type of scenario that you could then insert yourself into and imagine yourself also experiencing. With anime, it's a very different situation, right? It's hard to place yourself in the setting of an anime protagonist, even though I am like the most self-insert person ever. But when I'm watching an animation, I'm like, okay, I understand this isn't real. This is an art form that you're not seeing a real human on screen, and therefore I don't experience that same level of fear. We haven't talked about this. I was going to talk about this later, but I might as well just do it now. I honestly don't find horror genres that scary. <laughs> and maybe this is why I'm fine with horror, because I just find that shit funny like 90% of the time. <laughs> like watching Paranormal Activity, I'm like, why the fuck are you still in this house? Like, you're such a stupid motherfucker. Just light the house on fire and just get the fuck out. Like, what is happening? But honestly, I completely agree with you that the horror genre in anime is limited to a very, very few select titles for me. I will mention one of them, but the remainder of them, if you look at any of these lists, are majority battle shonen that include things like monsters and demons, or they're going to be like suspense-ridden things. Yeah. It's not much of the things that I would actually consider horror or something like Uzumaki or something like that. I assume we'll talk about Shinto Ido at some point, and part of the explanation might just be that the adaptations are shit. And that is usually what happens with someone like Junji yeah. Ito, that it's really hard to recreate how visceral and scary his drawings and actual arts can be. So that part of an explanation I get. I also completely agree with and by your explanation for why horror and anime is not that scary, but it still puzzles me that there is something specifically about horror because you talk about it not feeling as real or potentially being something that could happen to you, but that doesn't really apply to other emotions, right? Like you still can self-insert in a lot of other scenarios. I think horror plays on a different element. It's like a fucking like romance, like in Kaguya, right? We can experience that sensation of embarrassment, even secondhand embarrassment through scenarios of love. When you're watching horror, you're looking for that visceral reaction. I hate jump scares, but jump scares are like 90% of horror, right? A jump scare in an anime, I think, would just be fucking hilarious. Like, I don't know how that would work. And you've seen it, definitely, in many different anime. It just doesn't elicit the same kind of response, that physiologic response of bringing fear to me. I agree with that. It's just a little puzzling to yeah, me why yeah. I can get the reaction of wanting to cry or feeling sad or feeling happier or, like, whatever else can be elicited through anime. But for some reason, horror just does not compute in the same way. It's a little bit of a mystery, but 
I buy your explanation generally. <laughs> when I was making this list, I was like, Halloween is so much about horror. And I was just talking this with my team today. People during Halloween or just October will just put on a, a horror flick, right? And then be like, all right, let me just watch this. You just not don't me. do that with anime. <laughs> and, and we, well, yeah, not you. But when I was making this list, it wasn't about the horror element, except for one of them. It was more about the sensation of yeah. like, what do I feel around this time of the year? Yeah, that's pretty much what I went with as well. All right. Mononoke, let's actually talk about my pick for a second. So Mononoke is a 2007 avant-garde series produced by Toei Animation. <laughs> I knew that would tilt you. Uh, and it's actually a spinoff of a 2006 horror anthology called Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales. Set in the Edo period in the Meiji era of historical Japan, Mononoke follows the character of the medicine seller as he continually encounters, combats, and destroys Mononoke. These Mononoke are a type of Ayakashi, which are unnatural spirits that linger in the human world by binding themselves to negative human emotions. The medicine seller has to use his knowledge of the supernatural to learn the spirit's shape, truth, and reasoning before exercising it with many of the spirits rooted deep in Japanese folklore. So Mononoke structurally is split into five different mini arcs for a one core series. So each of these arcs last anywhere from two to three episodes. Each fundamentally covers a different ghost story with the upcoming film that's coming out next year, I presume covering a standalone arc. This makes it honestly perfect for the Halloween season because you can just sit down and get through an arc when you want something spooky or seasonally thematic to watch. The reason that I love Mononoke is that it's able to weave together Japanese history and tales into an artistic experience that has unexpected twists in each short story's narrative. The arcs themselves are also pretty diverse. They range from something like a haunted inn housing a pregnant woman who is escaping assassination to a locked car on a train that hits a ghostly girl on the tracks. Actually, one thing that I have to mention about Mononoke is that all of them focus in one way or another on women's roles in society and how they are typically oppressed or treated unjustly. And something that I actually do appreciate about the horror genre, which is used, I think, pretty sparingly, but is really effective when it is, is using horror as a method for making social commentary. I can't think of that many examples. I think the first one that comes to mind is Get Out, which is one of the few live action horror films that I actually like. I know you're shaking your head because you probably don't consider it horror, but technically it's horror. So <laughs> I don't not consider it horror. I just think that uh, I'm interested to see where you go with this. That's it. I don't think it's the same. I think that Get Out definitely used the genre as a means for social commentary. I will say that in most horror, I think it, almost works as the reverse where like characters that are weak and or minorities often end up dying first unfortunately that's totally true and a trope <laughs> yeah. i meant that at baseline i don't like horror that much but in the few times i have seen that it is used for social commentary they're about women's roles in society yeah. japanese society and history in the way that it is in mononoke or about the experience of being black in America and get out, then I actually appreciate it because it feels like the genre is being used for an artistic expression that you're telling me you if fucking really paranormal activity do. was avant-garde, you would watch <laughs> that shit, man. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna make sure I find one. I can't movie. imagine that. <laughs> Either can I. I do feel like there's probably a broad range of really old anime that falls into that avant-garde horror realm. I'm trying to think of an example. I have like an image of something in my mind. Oh, let me look up if this is actually horror. 
Okay, it doesn't actually have horror attacks. What's the name of it? I was thinking of Belladonna of Sadness, which I've heard is like a super fucking out there, like fucked up movie that is very avant-garde. I thought it had horror elements. Maybe it actually does, just doesn't have the tag. But anyway, I feel like there are probably a lot of anime in that realm from like the 80s and 90s that were very experimental that I think would fit here, but none of us are cultured enough to <laughs> i mean would you consider something like serious experiments lane horror that was very psychologically traumatizing <sighs> yeah i agree but it feels more in the satoshi Kon psychological oh you mean perfect blue realm. which is on every horror list unnecessarily in my opinion but yeah yeah that's what i mean the last thing that i want to say about mononoke specifically is just that the art direction is fucking insane truly there is nothing else that looks the same way that mononoke looks the environments are unique and colorful with distinct textures and backgrounds that really make each arc captivating, often resembling ukiyo-e, which I know you love. It also has a really excellent sound design, and Mononoke just manages to somehow, in its art style as well, blend historical and modern styles to create something just one of a kind. People often compare Mononoke to Mushishi, which I think makes a lot of sense given the concept of a character wandering around historical Japan solving supernatural phenomena so they definitely have that in common I actually think it'd be really fun to do a deep dive contrasting them but they do differ quite a bit in visual presentation and in themes Mushishi is much more I would say quote-unquote standard for the time in its animation and tends to be more philosophical in its ideas whereas Mononoke is more experimental and plays on social commentary. So it's kind of interesting how people make that comparison between the two, but functionally they are actually quite different. Anyway, I was expecting Mononoke to actually scare me given how much I had heard of it. It didn't really scare me, but it's still a great series and I think still fits the theme of something spooky for this time of the year. This is a show that's been on my plan to watch for so long and I didn't know it was in the horror genre. I... I'm even more excited to watch it after that because it just adds a new kind of twist for me that I wasn't expecting. But for everything I've seen from it, which is a lot of it is the art. I find the art incredible. All of the stills I've seen from it are super, super experimental and interesting and colorful and abstract in the ways that you were talking about. And so, yeah, I can't wait to actually watch this. Yeah, with how much of a sucker you are for that specific kind of art style, I think, on top of it being historical fiction in some way, I think. You'll really like it, almost yeah. undoubtedly. And you'll just have to watch it before we go see the movie next year. So <laughs> You're forcing my hand. <laughs> All right, give me your second pick. I'm going to lead off this by asking you a question. Yeah. What show do you think you've rewatched the most? And I know you don't really rewatch None. <laughs> really? You haven't seen a single show more than once. That can't be true. I have, but only because... My sister or my partner or somebody else is watching it for the first time and I am in the vicinity. So like I've seen quite a bit of the early parts of Monogatari twice because my sister was watching it. My partner was just watching Steinsgate, so I caught bits of that. Shows like that I have rewatched, but I've never actually intentionally sat down myself and rewatched something other than movies. That happens a lot more often with movies. Like I've seen Satoshi Kon films multiple times. I literally just went to go see Perfect Blue in theaters like a month or two ago and I had of course already seen it. So Happens more with movies, but yeah, I don't think I've ever rewatched something more than like two or three times. <laughs> if you had to guess, what show do you think I've rewatched the most? One Piece. <laughs> no, I haven't rewatched One Piece. That's fucking ridiculous. Sword Art Online. <laughs> I've watched SAO a number of times now. I've only ever watched SAO fully through one time, and it was for the episode that we made. 
I am going to be upset when you say it because I feel like it's almost there in my mind, but I don't have it right now. I don't think you're going to be upset because I don't think this is even close to your fucking radar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really realize this till I was putting this list together. The show that I have rewatched the most is actually Helsing Ultimate. What? <laughs> exactly. I knew that was going to be a reaction. I literally just put that on my plan to watch and I was like, yeah, I don't think Robbie's ever seen that, which like, I guess you have, but I've never heard you mention it in my life. <laughs> I am actually devastated that I haven't mentioned this show more on the podcast. And I don't think there was ever really a reason for me to, except for our Gateway to Anime episode. And I was kicking myself today when I was thinking about shows that reminded me of Halloween. I was like, fucking Helsing Ultimate. How have we never really talked about that before? Of course, as context, I am excluding movies like you said, because I've watched Wolf Children like eight times. But most shows in my top 10 or 15 on Mal, I've seen like you have two or three times because you're going to watch it yourself. You're going to watch it with your partner. You'll watch it with some friends. I think I've seen Helsing Ultimate like six or seven times. And looking back on it, I can't believe, again, that I didn't include this in my gateway to anime choices. Helsing is an incredibly good choice for a gateway anime if you're looking for something a little more mature, dark, and action-heavy. I've watched it myself. I watched it with every one of my roommates. I've watched it with friends who have never gotten into anime and were like, hey, I always thought anime was fucking Pokemon. Can you show me something where Pikachu isn't in it? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let me show you the wonders of Helsing Ultimate. And it's because... This is one of the best produced anime I have seen. If you're looking for something, like I said, something more mature, dark, and action heavy, this is a show that hits every single one of those boxes and comes through with a production that, coming from the mid-2000s, this came out in like fucking 2006 or something like that, it is mind-boggling. In that way, it reminds me a lot of Garden of Sinners, which came out, I think, the year later in, like, 2007, where you think back on that and you're like, how the fuck is that from 2007? Because it looks incredible. Everything about this show, the darkness, the gore, the action, the politics, the religious undertones, fucking killing Nazis, I loved all of it. And most people who I've shown it to have also had a blast. Helsing Ultimate is actually an OVA series based on the Helsing manga. The first Helsing anime was actually produced by Studio Gonzo and ran from 2001-2002, but it diverged from the manga in episodes 5 or 6 onwards because the source material hadn't been completed yet. Ultimate was the follow-up production by Genion that actually adapted the manga much more closely and was released over a period of 6 years. These I think it was like 10 OVA episodes, came out over six years from 2006 to 2012. And I am so glad I only watched it after 2012 because I would have fucking died having to wait like multiple years for the next episode. Yeah, that's a bit much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every episode is like an hour long, so I really do appreciate that. But goddamn. The story follows the operations of the Helsing Organization, a secret anti-paranormal unit led by Sir Integra Wingates Helsing. Integra inherited the leadership of Helsing after the death of her father and swore to uphold its mission to search for and destroy the undead and other supernatural forces of evil that threaten the queen and the country. And 
Based on that, I can assume that you know this is in England. At her disposal is the powerful and feared vampire Alucard, who swore fealty to the organization after he was defeated by Integra's predecessor a hundred years before the current events. As Integra and Alucard begin to investigate the growing frequency of incidents involving the undead globally, they come upon a larger plot that pits Helsing against foes both old and new. Helsing has everything you think of when you think of Halloween. It has vampires, zombies, monsters, blood, gore, Nazis, need I even go on? But in all seriousness, I really think this is a show that if your friend asks you to prove that anime isn't just for kids, you can point to this and say, here, this one. Helsing Ultimate is incredible, and I highly recommend, even if you're not going to watch it for the Halloween vibes for this episode, you should definitely have it on your plan to watch. Yeah, this is one I do also really want to watch. I feel like this happens often for these special episodes for some reason that we just like pick things that the other hasn't seen at all. (laughs) I don't know why that happens. But I definitely do want to check it out. And I think vampire is like the synonymous thing with Halloween. So Mm -hmm. I think having that as a motivator for this pick on top of all the other things you mentioned makes a lot of sense. I wanted to ask, do you know how it compares in terms of the actual like content of the adaptation to the first Helsing? Yeah, so I haven't seen all of the first Helsing. I actually did start watching it, and the reason I dropped it is because it was like similar in content to the newer one, and that's why I was like, why the fuck am I going to rewatch this when I've already seen it? And then later on, I found out, oh, it diverges after episode five. And so I was like, fine, I'll go rewatch it at some point. I just haven't done that yet. This is like Brotherhood when I watched all of the original and then was like, am I really going to rewatch Brotherhood? And then I was like, yeah, I probably should. So I will go back. This is in the reverse order now. But for, I guess, those at least first few episodes that you watched, did they feel like super different? It's pretty similar. The production of the newer one is just so much better. And so I really, really recommend if you're getting into it, you don't need to watch Helsing. Just watch Helsing Ultimate. I'm sure there's some hardcore Helsing fan that's going to be like, no, you got to watch the old one for this. But, you know, there are also people who like Full Metal Alchemist more than Brotherhood. So I mean, they probably also like Demon Slayer. So (laughs) I don't know why you loop those things together. All right, so my second pick is Demon Slayer. No. Oh, my God. I <laughs> My heart rate, that was a fucking jump scare if I've ever seen one. <laughs> so for my second pick, if I told you that we were doing this episode and you had to guess one thing that I would put on my list, what do you think it would be? Monogatari. Fuck off. <laughs> Um, I actually did really strongly consider putting Kizumoto Guitari, but I'm, I'll talk about that in the next one. <laughs> fucking killed you. I didn't do it, so um, <laughs> I'll talk about that in the next week. Honestly, if you expanded broadly to include fall vibes, I would have expected something like March comes in like a lion. But knowing that it's probably more Halloween vibes, saying that you didn't do that, I'd say probably Devil Man. Correct. Fuck yeah. <laughs> So my second pick is what I am dubbing as the hipster Sakuga series to watch for Halloween, and that's Devilman Crybaby. I'm not going to lie. I almost put this on my list, too, and then I was like, Helsing Ultimate. (laughs) I think Helsing Ultimate is probably, honestly, more thematically appropriate, but Devilman is classified as horror. It has demons. It has devils. It has fairly gory in this presentation, so I think it, minus the vampires, fits along the same spectrum as Helsing Ultimate. Uh, I think it's a good pick. 
Nice. I'm happy to hear you say that even though you don't like it. <laughs> I don't dislike it. That's not true. I just don't like the ending. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay, so Devilman Cry Baby, if you haven't heard about it, is a 2018 ONA series directed by Masaki Yuasa at Saru, was released by Netflix, and it adapts Go Nagai's Devilman manga series, updating the original 1970s setting to the 21st century, but maintaining the basic premise of the manga. The narrative follows Akira Fudo and his friend Ryo Asuka as they face an ancient race of demons that seek to destroy humanity. Believing the only way to defeat them is to obtain their powers, Ryo proposes that Akira unites with the demon himself, which he does, transforming into the titular devil man that has the powers of a demon but retains his human soul. So you also made some really bold choices with his version of Devilman, reimagining the anti-war commentary from the original manga, given the time that it was released, as a metaphor for bigotry in which manipulation and paranoia are discussed with demons as quote-unquote the other. The series is also controversially, honestly, graphic, so definitely be warned if you are going into it that there is a lot of very graphic content. And people tend to be, as you mentioned, fairly split on the ending. But even given those things, it is also highly praised for its themes relating to puberty, to sex, to LGBTQ identity. Perhaps most well-liked is the animation, which lives up to Yuasa's very, very high and imaginative standard, and the soundtrack, which is one of Kensuke Ushio's best in the way that it uses synthetic and electronic beats. We talked about that a lot in our soundtracks episode. I think regardless of your opinion on Devilman, I think it's definitely worth a watch, especially this time of the year. Why are you laughing? You make it sound like my <laughs> opinion. Regardless of your fucking opinion. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to preface this. With, I think a lot of people are split on some of those aspects, yeah. and I think that is totally fair. I think on top of providing a glimpse into a classic franchise through the eyes of one of anime's best modern directors, it veers into a kind of surrealist horror with scenes like the underground nightclub in the first episode, with Tokyo's descent into chaos and madness that follows in the latter half of the series, and Ryo's, I will vaguely say, ultimate fate that is revealed towards the end of the series. So I think it's, along with Mononoke, probably the two anime that I really like that actually have the horror tag on Mal. <laughs> Even this one, I'm like, is it really horror? I was never scared watching it. No, but I'm never scared watching anime <laughs> horror. <laughs> so you can't even use that as a test. <laughs> yes, that's right. But then what even is horror? Yeah, I don't know. I literally just looked it up. And so it is a genre supposed to elicit fear or disgust. And I feel like this veers more towards the disgust because there are definitely, definitely some yeah. elements that are hard to watch there, but not because they're scary. Yeah, I think it also similarly to Mononoke and like Get Out does try to use the horror for some kind of social commentary. So clearly that's something that I again gravitate towards. Devilman's really, really good. I think you should be warned about definitely the graphic content and know that People are split on the ending, but I think a sort of a modern take on a classic franchise. I think it's really, really cool that Yuasa got free reign to do his own interpretation of it. And on the one hand, I think I want directors I really like to be able to make original new things, but I think it is also cool to sometimes see them work with a classic and get freedom to transform it in the way that they want. I agree with that. I think the thing that stands out to me most about Devilman, as you said, is the animation and the soundtrack. Actually, primarily the soundtrack because so it's just one of the most 
inventive soundtracks I've heard in anime. It really pushes beyond the orchestral scores, pushes beyond the fucking MIDI files that you hear in most shitty anime. Really goes into like EDM, hardcore like synth music, and really blends some interesting genres. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Give me your last pick. I don't think we've ever talked about this show on the pod. And that's because I can almost guarantee that you're never going to watch it (laughs) because it's the most horror-adjacent anime I have ever seen. And my last pick is Higarashi When They Cry. I am never going to watch that. (laughs) But it is on a lot of horror lists, so I think it makes sense. Yeah, I did that a little bit for effect. But honestly, this is more suspense than horror for me. I know that in a lot of people's minds, those things are equated. A lot of the element of horror in Higurashi comes to the fact that you are just waiting for something to happen that you know is going to happen, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And so if that freaks you out, then yeah, Higurashi is going to freak you out a little bit. It'll freak me out. Yeah. It's anime, so <laughs> So, I mean, we talked about it multiple times so far about how we've looked at like horror lists when coming into this. And I did that primarily just to be like, what the fuck is horror anime? And you said that a lot of lists had things like Devilman on it. A lot of lists had Higurashi. But it was mixed in among things like fucking Tokyo Ghoul and Demon Slayer. And like, in what universe are you sitting through Demon Slayer and being like, this is too scary for me? And so, no, not no one. Most people don't do that. Even my top two picks, Soul Eater and Helsing, I wouldn't classify as horror. I really don't know what I would. And so this is the closest I'm going to get. It's close because of its suspense and its brutality. So Hikarashi is actually based on a visual novel series that focuses on a group of young friends living in a small village in the Japanese countryside and the strange events that occur there. And there have been a number of anime adaptations so far. And in no way are the naming of these confusing because they're all just called some variation of When They Cry, which is incredibly clear. The first two were produced in 2006 and 2007 by Studio Dean, famous for its famous (laughs) for its adaptation of Fate. They cooked there. (laughs) And were called When They Cry and When They Cry Kai respectively. They were followed up by an OVA in 2009 called When They Cry Ray. And over the next 10 years, we saw some other OVAs, a live-action adaptation, and a live-action film before 2020 when a new anime series by Passione started broadcasting 10 years later. The first season is named, you'll never believe this, When They Cry Go, and the second season is named When They Cry Sotsu. And that's where we are today. So, incredibly obvious naming aside, what's Higurashi about? So, you've seen all of these, and also I have to note, this is probably actually the thing that you were stressing about. Yes, this is actually the thing that I was looking up, being like, what the fuck is the name of this one? And no, I haven't seen all of them. I've only seen When They Cry Go, because I was like, I've heard about it for so long. It came out in 2020, and I was like, you know what, fine, I'm actually watching anime now. I might as well just watch Go. And... What's the Higurashi watch order? (laughs) Dude, I don't even fucking know. I don't even know how different these are from each other. All I know is that when I sat through this, I sat through there being like, "Mm, this is a little suspenseful. This tickles my Halloween fantasy. And so, yeah, I kind of liked it. 
Do you watch them in broadcast order? Or do you watch them in chronological oh, order? Stop it. <laughs> stop it. I don't even know how the broadcast order works because they're all like in parallel universes. <laughs> it really has elements of fate in it for me. And I know some fucking fate fan is now going to mail like a fucking letter bomb to my email. And so like... I swear to God, I do not know about how all of the Higurashi pieces tie together. All I know is that the one I watched was good, and it fits the theme of Halloween. Higurashi is better than Fate. You heard it here first. I did not say that. Please. (laughs) Please. Fucking give me a chance to redeem myself. The story follows Keiichi Maibara, who's just moved to the village of Hinamizawa in the summer of 1983. When I was looking at this up, there's actually a really cool image on Wikipedia of the village, the real village in Japan that Hinamizawa is based off of, and goddamn do they look similar. He meets there his close friends Reina, Mion, Satoko, and Rika, who he befriends rather quickly. As the village prepares for its annual festival, Keiichi learns about the local legends surrounding it and quickly discovers an eerie underside to the village. To his horror, he finds that there have been several murders and disappearances in the recent years and that they all seem to occur around the time of the festival in relationship to the village's patron god, Oyashiro. Keiichi tries to ask his newfound friends about these incidents, but they're silent, they're circumspect, they're suspicious, and they don't give him the answer he needs. As more and more bizarre events occurs, he wonders just what the secret of the town is and what his friends are keeping for him, and if he can even trust them at all. So I think of the synopses I've given so far, this is the closest one in the theme of horror. When I watched this, I didn't know what to expect. I had heard about people talking about Higurashi, how it's unsettling, how it's suspenseful. And I will say it was all of those things. Even the first few episodes from the ambiance, the color palette, the music, everything builds up this level of suspense that you see repeated over and over and over again in the series. I'm going to give you a slight spoiler. This isn't a major spoiler. Okay. (laughs) A slight spoiler is that this works very similar to ReZero, where the character... Yeah, basically. (laughs) Where Keishi, or someone in the village, ends up dying every three episodes. And then basically, you restart. And then you restart. And then you restart. And one of the characters, and one of the, you're not going to watch this tonight, especially if you're alone right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. One of the characters, like either, it's actually also very similar to Haruhi, where one of the characters is able to maintain throughout all of these restarts, but it's not Keiji. It's reading Steiner, basically. It's very (laughs) similar to fucking reading Steiner. So if you're actually interested in watching something horror adjacent or suspenseful, in anime where there's not a lot of variety available to you, definitely check out Higurashi. Did it actually scare you? There were a couple moments with like a jump scare where I was like, oh, mm, I didn't expect that. But no, it's kind of hard for me to, again, to like get really, really scared. Jump scares are the things that I actually just hate the most. I just don't enjoy jump scares. They actually do like, you know, scare me a little bit because I'm just like, what the fuck? But... 
my favorite type of horror is the suspense, is like something like Paranormal Activity, is something like uh, Wreck, which is an amazing Spanish horror movie that actually Paranormal Activity is based on. So I really enjoyed those. Do you think you'll ever go back and watch the rest of Higurashi? <sighs> There's so many other better things I want to watch. <laughs> That hasn't stopped you in the past. It's not bad. I mean, you're not wrong. I just finished Mushoku Tensei, so <laughs> well, you it did made actually me really so watch that. fucking mad. But we can talk about that at a different time. Let's save that for the end of the year pod. Please. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna absolutely fucking obliterate Mushoku Tensei. People are already knowing what I'm gonna say about it now. But my god, <laughs> so it's safe to say it's not gonna have a, a second consecutive anime of the year title. No, I mean it might just for the <laughs> troll, but don't troll me like that. <laughs> All right. So my last pick is probably the most out of the box of the three. I think my other two were debatably horror, but horror in one way or another. It's fucking Kaguya. It's not. It is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Phantom Blood. <laughs> Man, you really took this. I mean, I don't know what Phantom Blood is about, but you took this as you <laughs> you've said, watched out of the it. Box. It's the first part. Oh, it's, it's the first part one through nine. Oh, fuck that, dude. <laughs> so let me explain myself. I think. Vampires are probably, as we talked about earlier, the best example of creature monster that is synonymous with Halloween. So I wanted at least one pick which relates to that. And I didn't really have any other horror anime that I had seen that I really, really liked. This is where I almost went with Kizumonogatari since it's a trilogy of movies that is actually a valid place to start. Monogatari, I wouldn't recommend it, but technically you can. And... That centers very much, I mean, all of Monogatari centers around vampires in kind of one way or another, but Kiza Monogatari, those movies specifically have a bit of eh, kind of creepy flavor to them and very distinctly focus on vampires. But I think Phantom Blood provides a setting more appropriate for the Halloween season throughout the entire arc, given the fact that it is the genesis for like maybe the most famous vampire in all of anime and Dio, even though... People don't really think of him as that because it's just hot instead <laughs> and really gay. Is he the guy that does the fucking tongue cherry thing? No, no, that's Kakyoin. Okay. That's many okay. parts forward. Okay, okay. And on top of that, it's set in, as I'll talk about in a second, it's set in not medieval, but like historical England around the time of Jack the Ripper. So it has the right sort of, at least for me, vampire Halloween setting. I don't know. Maybe you don't like the pick. I'm sticking with it. Anyways, I respect your I move. <laughs> I just didn't like the first part of JoJo's. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second. So Phantom Blood is the first part of Hirohiko Araki's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure series. It came out in 1987. The manga did. The fact that it's still going on is actually just fucking blows my mind. Like we're on part nine now, but it literally just started. So we at least have a few more years of JoJo's left. And that's if he doesn't decide to make part 10 and make another set of parts i don't know how this man does it this particular arc has two anime adaptations actually one in a 2007 film which is done by appp a studio that i have never heard of in my entire life which i have obviously not seen and another in the first nine episodes of 2012's david production adaptation of jojo's that's the one that people are most familiar with and the one that i'll be talking about the story is set in england in the mid to late 1880s and follows jonathan Joestar. Jonathan is the heir of a wealthy family who became indebted to a man named Dario Brando after seemingly being rescued from a carriage incident. 
12 years later, Jonathan's father hopes to repay his debt by adopting Dio, Dario's son, after Dario passes away. Dio, however, wishes to take the Joestar fortune for himself by killing his adoptive father and transforming himself into a vampire using an ancient stone mask. Jonathan then has to learn the sunlight-based martial arts technique of Haman and defeat him along with his new companions, Robert E.O. Speedwagon and Will A. Zappelli. You're shaking your head a lot. <laughs> so JoJo's doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out of the fucking Yeah, just got, I wanted to say that first. It is a battle shonen series that I absolutely love, but it's precisely because it actually makes no sense and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's very self-aware about the fact that it makes no fucking sense. Over the course of its run, Araki has set each part of the generational Joestar story in a different country or a different historical era which really allows him to use distinct influences to tell stories along with all of the references and the memes that JoJo's is most famous for. And here he's clearly writing about England, as I mentioned, in the time of Jack the Ripper. This is what makes Phantom Blood, I think, a relatively fun Halloween watch. Dio himself becomes a vampire. He converts others into vampires and zombies that Jonathan has to learn how to fight against. So I think it has sort of the right vibe for the season. There's certainly a lot more I could say about JoJo's. I think just with respect to Phantom Blood specifically, it's probably my least favorite part. You mentioned that you didn't really like it and you haven't seen that much else of JoJo's. And I think Phantom Blood is entertaining for what it is, but Jonathan is a fairly standard heroic protagonist compared to some of the more interesting ones in the series like Joseph or Josuke. Stands, which are introduced as a power system to replace Haman in part three, are a much more engaging power system than what we get here. However, Phantom Blood is... Honestly, pretty short. It's only nine episodes. I think it provides a baseline for the franchise that you can, you know you can watch this time of the year. Hopefully, we'll convince some people to then dive into the rest of the series from there, using that as a springboard. And the rest of the series does actually have some amazing parts, which eventually, at some point in the very distant future, when you watch all six parts, <laughs> <laughs> we'll actually get to talk about it. You mentioned that you didn't like it, but I wanted to hear a little bit more about your impressions of Phantom Blood if you even remember any of that at all. Not going to lie to you, I remember very little of it. But I think the part of it that was like quintessentially JoJo's is that not only does it not make sense, but everything is extremely over the top. And so... And homoerotic. <laughs> I don't dislike that part of it. <laughs> so the fact that the story wasn't that compelling to me. I couldn't really get behind any of the characters and it was so short, so it didn't really develop the characters enough for me to actually care about them. Besides this kind of wacky revenge story where this guy's like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm not only going to kill him, like his dad, then I'm going to become a vampire and fuck over your entire life. And I was like, why is he doing any of this? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so I couldn't really get behind JoJo at that point. I understand that a lot of people are like, you know, just stick with it. The aesthetic is amazing. The music is amazing. Like the over the topness nature of it is a lot of fun to watch. It's just really sad to me that JoJo started off on this foot. Whereas for most people, I know I'm not the only one that feels this way, but for most people getting into a show, the first few episodes are like the necessity to get into a show that even if it gets worse from then on, you'll still stick with it. I feel like JoJo's just didn't do that for me. And I think that's to its own detriment. Yeah, it really is. I think JoJo's is even for me that it's like a big fan of it. I think it's a pretty hard sell because I think part two does get quite a bit better because the protagonist is just 
way more fun and charismatic and that makes it enjoyable. And so I think people often like part two a lot more than part one. And so if it was just like, okay, get through these nine episodes and then the rest of it is really great. It's not really the case because I know a lot of people love Stardust Crusaders. Stardust Crusaders is fucking long and parts of it are really entertaining, but it is so long and formulaic for so long. And because it's the part that introduces stands, didn't feel like Araki really got the hang of how to be creative with those powers until parts four through six. And all of those parts, I think, are amazing in their own way. But it's really hard to tell someone, hey, just watch three parts and then you're good. <laughs> it's like, can't really expect anybody to do that. So every time I it think to myself, man, you really talk about the fact you won't watch an arc of One Piece. And then you watched all of JoJo's and you talk about it like, oh, man, I hated so much of it. I would love to watch arcs of One Piece, but if I'm going to get through it, it's going to take years because it's yeah. just not going to be the only thing I watch straight, you know? Yeah. All right. Those have been our Halloween picks. I wanted to shout out a few other notable Halloween anime series and episodes. So first, some of the more famous episodes that are Halloween themed that I could dig up or on High School Host Club, which I don't think either of us have seen. Episode 21 is like the number one thing that comes up on Halloween lists. So I do actually want to try to watch that soon. So hopefully get around to it. Hyoka episode 14 has a really great Halloween episode, which I know we both really like. Bleach episode 304 also comes up a lot. Oh, I yeah, I remember that, that exact one. No, I fucking have no <laughs> idea what episode 304 is, bro. <laughs> the Halloween one. <laughs> Psyche K episode 114 also has a Halloween episode. Odd Taxi episode 7 actually is a Halloween episode because it's just basically set in Tokyo. And I had a brief idea to put this on my list, but then I didn't really feel like it fit the theme as well as everything else. Jujutsu Kaisen's Shibuya arc, season two, episodes six to 23, still ongoing, but it's actually directly set on Halloween in Shibuya during one of these parties that I talked about in the culture section. And it's actually important to the plot of the arc. Does the rest of the arc really have anything Halloween or horror themed? Not really, but- It's probably it more Halloween job. relevant than anything we've talked about so far. <laughs> it's possible. You know, I was, I was talking about Helsing and just I brought up Garden of Sinners. I feel like that also would be a really good pick, just considering how psychologically yeah. intense it is for so much of it. Any excuse for people to watch Garden of Sinners, I really like Garden of Sinners. <laughs> In terms of other things that are set on Halloween, I don't know if you remember this. I haven't seen it yet, but the Cowboy Bebop movie is also set on Halloween, like on the day of Halloween, that. actually. Probably not actually important to the plot, but it is. I don't think so. <laughs> and then I also had Vampire Hunter D written down on here, which I know like nothing about, but kind of like Helsing, another very vampire themed thing you could watch. And then in terms of horror, I just wrote down a few other things maybe that people could watch, which I have seen exactly none of, <laughs> but came up on lists a lot, which are Parasite, Boogie Pop Phantom, Elfin Lead, which I know you love, and Another. <laughs> I've actually been meaning to watch another for quite a while. And one of Hope's favorite things is Parasite, isn't it? I don't think it's actually one of her favorite things. I think... I know Psyche K is. She loves Psyche K. That's true. Yeah. I think Parasite is something that she watched early in her anime watching years kind of randomly because she wanted to watch something that was super weird. I don't know how much she actually likes it, though. <laughs> I see. Maybe I'm confusing with Psyche K, but yeah, I do remember yeah. us having a discussion about Parasite at some point and me being like... Looks weird. It's really fucking <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about Halloween anime, Halloween itself, that you want to say to 
wrap up this episode? Nah, man. I want to go party in Shibuya. Sounds fun. Actually, I feel like the parties in Osaka would be really cool. You always see the pictures of the neon signs in Osaka, and I feel like hanging out there, dressing up would be really fun. I mean, Osaka seems super fun. I know if we're going there on Halloween, we're going directly to the fucking Sanrio for that <laughs> Hollow Kitty event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting coming into this, having to broaden our expectations for what it meant to be Halloween themed because horror and anime is just not really a thing in my opinion. It is an interesting question. <laughs> it's a hot take. Yeah, really? I mean, I think it's not as scary as live action. Yeah. I don't think it's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I just feel like nothing really in anime is, you know, I'm going to say that and fucking there's going to be some anime that fucking scares the living shit out of me. <laughs> Definitely. There's that new Junji Ito adaptation that actually looks promising. Yeah, we'll see about that one. <laughs> what I will say though is that um, and I completely lost my train of thought. Nice. Perfect. Strong. Time to end the episode. Strong. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, I actually have to end it there. That's been it from us for our Halloween special episode. Hopefully you liked our picks. If you have any other picks that we didn't mention this episode that are your favorite to get in the mood for the season, definitely let us know on social media or on our discord server. Our next episode is going to be the fall season first impressions. So if you're thinking about what to watch, this season, you just want to hear us talk about free run for like two hours. Come check that out. Coming out in two weeks. Why are you shaking your head? I feel like I've said that like eight times this episode. I'm so <laughs> glad that there's a fantasy show. I mean, you've liked Maiden Abyss, so it's hard to I say I like this. fantasy. <laughs> I don't know why you think I don't like Because fantasy. you don't like fucking any isekai. <laughs> Is that true? I like Spirited Away. You like ReZero, I guess. Yeah, I like ReZero. Not as much as you. It's your favorite anime of all time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> all right check out our website bakabanter.com check out our twitter at bakabanter pod subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast apple Podcasts, spotify if you use either of those two services leave us a rating and a review otherwise we're available anywhere else that you might get your podcast if you want to join our discord server talk to us about halloween check out the photos of the art that ravi got at new york comic con or see the real version of his upcoming Nanami cosplay that he's definitely doing for Halloween. Oh God, yo, bro, you, you got to do it with me. I can't fucking dress up alone. We can't both be Nanami. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see any of those things, join our Discord server. If you just want to chat to us, the link is available pinned to our Twitter profile or on our website. So very easy access there. Otherwise, that's been it from us. We've been the Baka Banter Lads. Catch you all in the next one. What do you think about Gotta Fuck Em All too? Hentai Haven. Cosplay cuties. You know how fr there's Fruits Basket? How about Fruits Cup? <laughs> Foxy Nudes. <laughs> G-Taste. If this doesn't go into the outro for the episode, I'm going to disappoint. <laughs> You're the one making... Oh, actually, that's true. It's my job. Ass Fanatic. <laughs> I fucking love cosplay cuties. I can't tell what the second word is, but there's something about furries. <laughs>
that's, I like, that's I like enough the, of that. I like the one that's just straight up like, you know what? I'm not even going to play around. Hump a bang. <laughs> Why beat around the bush? You know? Oh, my God. It's going to be a fun like minute of conversation for anybody that listens to the, the outro music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Hello and welcome to 